0: We're on a road trip this summer, the summer road trip series. We're navigating the minor prophets. You may be seated. God bless you. Thank you for standing. We're navigating the minor prophets. We're learning major truths in the minor prophets. Have you been gaining and gleaning and learning some things from these last few lessons? God's been talking to us. God's been doing some powerful things in these Wednesday night services. I'm not sure if you've experienced uh, the last three or four, but God's just really been doing something special, and uh, I believe he's going to speak to us tonight. We're going to look at Obadiah, but first we're just going to do a quick recap of uh, not last Wednesday, but the Wednesday before last. I hope, I hope uh, just, if I can't put that plug in for the Matthew party, if you haven't uh, attended one or hosted one yet, I hope you have a plan to. Hope you're planning on uh, coordinating something at your house or somebody's house where you can get together with some neighbors or friends that maybe don't go to church, that need the love of God in their life, uh, and just, just doing that, just showing the love of Christ to somebody. Host a Matthew party, be a part of that, and just see how God can use you. God can use you uh, even when you don't even realize. Even if you feel like you're just having a cup of coffee, uh, God can use your conversation. God can use the love that you show uh, through his spirit. Uh, Let's look at a recap real quick of Amos. Uh, The prophet Amos, if we remember, he was a farmer. He was a cattleman. Uh, His prophecies consisted of metaphors and visions and poems. Uh, Amos spoke against the people of God, if you remember, for their hypocrisy. Uh, He rebuked them sharply for being hypocrites, uh, for having fake religion and fake righteousness. I hope, I hope that, that, that we never fall under that type of accusation where somebody thinks that we are a hypocrite, that we are not who we say that we are, and that our religion is fake. Uh, I pray that you and your, your religion, your walk with God is sincere, and everybody knows it. Everybody knows that, you know what, that individual right there, they are the real deal. They are who they say they are. Uh, so Amos spoke against the people for that, their fake religion and fake righteousness. Uh, He also rebuked them for their apathy towards God. Their apathy towards God led them into idolatry uh, because they were so bored that God wasn't doing it for them the way they thought, then they started looking to the other nations and and worshiping idols and false gods and exploring things that they had no business exploring. Uh, Let me just pause right there and say that there is always more in in knowing God. There is always more in experiencing God. Uh, I hope you don't get bored with your experience. If you get bored with your experience, uh, it is not God's fault. It's not God's fault. It's our fault. If we get bored with this and this just doesn't uh, do it for us anymore, I can promise you that it isn't anything that the Lord has done or failed to do. It is because of our apathy. And this led them to idolatry. Uh, There were many injustices in the land at this time. Uh, They would enslave their own people. They would sell their own as bondservants. Uh, Like Israel, we must remember the way that we treat others is a reflection of our sincerity and the sincerity of our religion. How we treat people is a reflection of our our sincerity and our walk with God. Uh, God promised great restoration, but he also uh, reminded them not to forget where they came from. Do not forget that I brought you up out of Egypt. Uh, Woe is us if we forget where God brought us from. Uh, It it is when we forget where God brought us from, then we lose our way and and eventually back in the same place where God delivered us from. Uh, So that's just a quick quick recap. Uh, We're going to look at Obadiah the prophet tonight. Obadiah and the destruction on Edom. The destruction on Edom. Uh, The last few lessons have really hit hard Uh, on the people of Israel. Uh, We're going to be looking at the people of Edom today, uh, but also I think we could take this lesson and we can reflect on ourselves just a little bit uh, through these prophecies and through these, uh, uh, I guess you could call them corrective uh, rebukes. But it will help us look at ourselves. I think there's some things we can learn from this. Uh, Obadiah, very little known about this prophet. This man, his his name simply means servant or worshiper of Jehovah. Uh, You know what? That's encouraging because that lets me know I don't have to be anything special as long as I'm a servant, as long as I'm a worshiper of the one true God. God can use me. God can use you. You don't have to have a fancy title. You don't have to have a fancy pedigree. You don't have to have the right name or the right bank account or the right history. Uh, You can simply be a servant and a worshiper of Jehovah and God can put a word in your mouth. God can use you as a voice in your generation. This prophet gives no information about his family. He gives no information about his residence. He gives no information about his setting. He just was simply a man that worshiped God that had a word for somebody. Uh, it, we could have titled this man the prophet of privacy uh, because we know very little about uh, you know what? That 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 could speak right there. You know what? It's okay to have some privacy in the 21st century. I I believe if Obadiah was prophesying in the 21st century, he would not have a Facebook ministry. <laughs> Woo, nobody would know who this guy was. He would just come out of left field with a word from God and blow everybody's mind. Uh, you wouldn't see him coming you wouldn't see Obadiah coming. Obadiah is the shortest book in the Old Testament in terms of length, with a grand total of 21 verses. Anybody, you can say, I read a full book in the Bible. You go read Obadiah, you can say, yeah, I actually have read a full book. You know, I don't know how, how much you've read in the Bible, but I've read at least one book. Uh, Obadiah is the shortest book in the Old Testament. Anyone can read it, and it's, it's really easy and plain to understand. Uh, There's a great diversity of opinion as to the specific timeline of this prophecy. Some people believe that this was uh, post-exile, where this was after they were exiled. The children of Israel were taken captive to Babylon. Some people believe it was after that. Some people believe it was foretold before they went into exile. Uh, There's no real timeline given other than the fact that this man pronounced doom. In destruction, he he was a prophet of doom. Uh, that's not gaining a lot of favor in the twenty first century to be a prophet of doom, but that's what many of the Old Testament prophets were. They were in, in fact, doom prophets, and he's pronouncing doomsday on Edom. So, here is a quick, uh, brief history of Edom. Do you know where Edom came from? Just throw a hand up. All right, Esau. The Edomites were the descendants of Esau, Jacob's twin brother, Israel's twin brother. Uh, These two nations were very, very familiar with each other. Uh, They had a bitter history. The book of Genesis, if you read a little bit into that, you can find out a little bit more about the history of Edom and Esau and Jacob and Israel and kind of see how... This, this rift started between Israel and Edom. Uh, when the Israelites came up out of Egypt, it was uh, the Edomites that denied passage through their land. They said, no, yeah, God was delivering e- uh, Israel from Egypt. And the Edomites said, no, you're not, you're not coming through my yard. You can go around. Uh, so you see the cold heart. You see the, the bitterness there, the strife. Uh, these were brothers these were literal family members at one time. Uh, and they said, no, you don't come through here. Uh, King David subdued Edom completely. Uh, but in the mid ninth century, uh, the nation staged a successful revolt and gained independence from Judah. So they broke away eventually. So let's talk about the vision that God gave Obadiah. Obadiah 1 and 1 and 2 says, the vision of Obadiah, thus saith the Lord God concerning Edom. We have heard a rumor from the Lord, an ambassador is sent among the heathen. Arise ye, let us rise up against her in battle. Behold, I have made thee small among the heathen. Thou art greatly despised. The prophet said, I heard a rumor. Uh, the, the word rumor isn't gossip or hearsay. He was saying, I, I've heard a report. Uh, his report came from the Lord. He said, I- I've heard something in the, in the spirit world. I heard a report. I've heard a news story. Uh, you haven't heard it yet because it hasn't happened yet. But here it is. He said, I'll deliver it. Obadiah had heard from God. Edom was about to be called into account for their cruelty towards their brother, Israel. God told them, I have planted a seed in the hearts of the nations around you. It is a humiliating statement that God gave them. He said, you think you're big, but I shall make you small and greatly despised. He said, I will make you small in other people's eyes. They thought they were big stuff. They thought they were strong. They thought they had uh, privilege. And God said, I'm about to show you, you are not as strong as you think you are you think highly of yourself and others are going to secretly despise you and plot against you God was sowing a seed in the hearts of the people close to Edom he was saying these people that are close to you watch I'm going to sow a seed I will turn them against you the first thing that God addresses with this nation and hear this Because this is a great reminder. The first thing he addresses with them is their pride. He addresses their pride. Let let us be reminded that God hates pride. Uh, We are not as great as we think we are. Back when I was a kid, we used to say, you're not all that in a bag of chips. Okay, we're we're not all that. You ain't all that in a little something extra. Uh, He was saying, you think you're high. The pride of Edom, in verses 3 and 4, he said... Your heart has deceived you. You dwell in the clefts of the rock, whose habitation is high. And you say in your heart, who shall bring me down to the ground? So God is revealing the very thoughts of their hearts. He said, though thou exalt thyself as the eagle, and thou set thy nest among the stars, Thence I will bring thee down, saith the Lord. God said, I'm going to bring you down from your high and lofty position that you think you hold. His pride and his conceit were nourished by the fact that he was in a land of mountain dwellings. They were a mountain dwelling people. They weren't. Uh, nomadic. They didn't dwell in the valleys and in tents like many of the tribes and many of the nations before them. They, they dwelt in the mountains. They were cave dwellers. They would hew out caves and, and great big fortresses in these mountain regions. Uh, and it made it very difficult for anybody to be able to attack them, anybody to be able to get a, a stronghold on them. Uh, it gave them an advantage against their enemies. The haughty spirit of Edom evidently stemmed from his belief that he was invincible and impregnable. No one, he thought, could bring me down from my lofty position. God assures him, though he emulate the eagle, and though he may set his abode among the stars, God will in fact bring him down. It was pride that cost lucifer and a third of the angels it, it was pride that causes most kings and most nations and most individuals to fall uh, the wise man said uh, pride and a haughty spirit will go before a fall and great destruction uh, we must remember not to get lifted up and and don't think of ourselves the apostle paul said higher than we ought to think of ourselves First Corinthians 10 and 12, the apostle Paul told us, wherefore let him that thinketh he stands, beware unless he fall, take heed lest he fall. We gotta be careful when we think we're strong, we think we can stand on our own two feet, we think we don't need anybody, we think we don't need counsel, we think we don't need uh, submission, we think we don't need these things. The apostle Paul said, you better be careful when you think you can stand on your own Take heed because you will fall. Even if they were able to dwell among the stars, God was going to bring them down. Even if they did have a high and lofty position among the nests of the eagles. You know, if an eagle makes a nest, it makes a, in a high place, in a mountainous place or a high tree. Even if they did have their dwellings among the eagles, God said, I can reach you and I can bring you down. Edom would reap what they sowed. Obadiah 1 and 5 through 7 says, If thieves come, if robbers come by night, would they not have stolen till they had enough? They would carry what they could carry. If grape gatherers came to thee, would they not leave some grapes? How are these things of Esau searched out? How are the hidden things sought up? All the men of Thy confederacy have brought thee even to the border. The men that were at peace with thee have deceived thee and prevailed against thee. They that eat bread, eat thy bread, have laid a wound under thee. There is none understanding in him. So Obadiah put forth a metaphor to Edom. He said if a robber comes in the middle of the night or if a thief breaks in, They will steal what they can carry. Or if the grape gatherers that are harvesting the vintage, uh, when they do that, they always leave clusters of grapes. They don't take it all. He said, not with you, Edom. When I'm done with you, there will be nothing left. There will be nobody left. God will bring you to complete ruin. His ruin will be inescapable. Moreover, the people that Edom considered to be his close allies... Take heed, somebody. They would deceive him and prevail against him. Be careful who you think are your close allies. Be careful who you make uh, your friends. Be careful the circles that you get too close to because not everybody is who they say they are. Not everybody is as loyal as they say they are. He said that these people would be treacherous. I will use them to bring retribution. His allies will drive him into a land of captivity. And he said this, no one will be there to help you in your time of need, Edom. The ones who had in other days enjoyed the trade and the commerce of Edom will employ treachery and bring about your downfall. Their tactical advantages and strategic plans, things that they thought so highly of, their location, their supposed alliances, all these things would be used against them to reduce them to nothing. God said, I will take everything that you think you have in your corner, everything that you would consider a strength, God said, I will make it your weakness. This is the destruction on Edom. They were so lifted up. They thought so highly of themselves. They thought they were so connected. And God said, I will use all that against you. I will let you know that I am sovereign over all the nations. Edom would be weakened where it used to be strong. Obadiah verses 8 and 9 says, Shall I not in that day, saith the Lord, even destroy the wise men out of Edom, and understanding out of the mount of Esau? And the mighty man, O Teman, shall be dismayed. To the end that every one of the Mount of Esau may be cut off by slaughter. God was angry. He was fed up. You know, this had been going on. This had been going on for thousands of years. And God said, okay, I'm done. I've had enough. At one point, Teman, a renowned city of Edom, was considered the seat of wisdom. A place where ancient knowledge and understanding was passed down. Job talked about it. Jeremiah talked about it. This place. Because of his communication with Babylon and Egypt, because of the information going through the caravans, going to and from Europe and India, Edom had gained an enviable reputation for wisdom. Now his wisdom will be withdrawn from him. The wise and the powerful men of Teman will be dismayed because the Lord purposed slaughter against them. Uh, Beware when God puts a mark on you. When God gets you in the crosshairs. You ain't... (laughs) There's nowhere you can run. There's nowhere you can hide. God said, guess what, demon? I'll destroy the mighty men. I'll destroy the wise man. I'll dismay them. Uh, you know, the apostle Paul wrote about this. The foolishness of, of man, or the wisdom of man is foolishness with God. Uh, the, the strength of man is weakness with God. All these things that they thought they had, God said, this is, this is nothing to me. I'll slaughter every one of them. So here it is. Edom is called into account for his treachery. Verse 10. For thy violence against thy brother Jacob, shame shall cover thee, and thou shalt be cut off forever. Verses 10 through 14 give us the bill of particulars against this arch nemesis of Israel. They portrayed the conditions that Israel faced when Babylon invaded their land. Verse 10 said, for your violence against your brother. God said, this is your brother. This isn't just another nation. He said, because you were violent against your own brother. Verse 11 and 12 recalls how they stood and watched these evils take place. Not only should they have helped Israel, but they took part in the destruction. Not only that, but they rejoiced at Israel's calamity. Obadiah 11 and 12 says, In the day that thou stoodest on the other side, in the day that strangers carried away captive his forces, and foreigners entered into his gates, and cast lots upon Jerusalem, he said, Even thou was one of them. But thou shouldst not have looked on the day of thy brother, in the day that he became a stranger. Neither shouldest thou have rejoiced over the children of Judah in the day of their destruction, neither shouldest thou have spoken proudly in the day of distress. Israel was under the corrective hand of God. God was bringing great correction upon this nation, but they should have minded their own business. Hey, growing up, when one of my siblings were in trouble with Dad. You just, you just go the other way. I didn't see nothing. They might be bawling and crying in the other room, and you think somebody's getting killed in there. Hey, I don't know nothing. I, don't, I didn't see nothing. <laughs> they should have minded their own business. God said, you took part. You helped their destruction. You rejoiced. I, I, I've jumped my kids when I've seen them get happy when I'm... Getting after the other one. And I said, guess what? You're next. And they're like, what? I'm like, you think it's funny? God didn't like it. He said, you rejoiced at their calamity. You celebrated in their destruction. They made God angry. Verse 13 and 14 talks about how Edom took advantage of Israel's prosperity, their property. They took advantage of their belongings in their vulnerability. And when Israel would be trying to flee, listen to this. When they were trying to flee Babylonian captivity, Edom would cut them off, round them up, and take them and turn them in. Uh, that's cold. That's cold. That is cold hearted right there. He said, no, you're not coming here. I'll round you up and I'm turning you in. He said, Thou shouldest not have entered into the gate of my people in the day of their calamity. Yea, thou shouldest not have looked on their affliction in the day of their calamity, nor have laid hands on their substance in the day of their calamity. Neither shouldest thou have stood in the crossway to cut off those that did escape. Neither shouldest thou have delivered up those that did remain in the day of distress. These people were in trouble. Theologically speaking, Edom's resistance to Israel's domination. And the encroachment of their territory were affronts to God's authority. They knew very well that Esau was not a part of the promise of God. That Esau was not to partake in the blessings and the promises of Abraham. Those were Israel. They knew the history. They knew that Esau passed up on his blessing, Esau sold his birthright, Esau gave all those things away. And now, when Israel's in trouble, they want to try to take them back. God said, no, no, that's an affront to God. That's saying, God, I don't care what you had to say. I don't care about the promises of God. We're taking them. You don't just get to take from God. And then they celebrated. They looted the abandoned city. They partied in it. They lived in it. They took it over. They celebrated. And then they hindered the escape of the survivors. Obadiah 1 and 15 says, For the day of the Lord is near upon all the heathen. As thou hast done, it shall be done unto thee. Thy reward shall return upon thine own head. Should not the Lord take into account all of these things? His wrath was kindled for good reason. Edom had merited the punishment that was coming upon him. The prophet declared that what Edom had done to Israel would in turn be done to them by others. Just as you have done, he said, guess what? I'll bring it back upon you. Only with you. God always left a remnant with Israel. That, that goes back to the metaphor that he talked about with Edom. God always left a remnant. Just as the grape gatherers would leave a remnant of grapes and clusters of grapes. God always left a remnant. Even when he punished and destroyed his own people. God always left a remnant. He said, with you, Esau, He said, I will not leave one. I'll take everybody. The prevailing theme of Obadiah is well stated by the Apostle Paul in Galatians 6 and 7. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that also shall he reap. Retribution is a reality. God is just. And he will punish injustice that is perpetrated against other people. Both individuals and nations. God is sovereign and he will bring justice. Edom's end foreshadows the fate of all who would abuse God's people. We can look at history. Anybody who ever afflicted or persecuted or abused God's people, God has destroyed them and punished them. Anybody who has ever afflicted Israel, you can look at Egypt. You can look at Edom, you can look at Babylon, you can look at Rome, you can look at Germany, you can look at all of these nations who afflicted God's people, and God always brought retribution. And I can tell you that God thinks no differently about His church. I'm telling you that God will bring justice upon anybody who would abuse God's people. And that goes for one another. God does not take kindly when people are treated unjustly. I believe there's some things we can consider from Obadiah's teaching. Or prophesy. Obadiah reminds us of this, first and foremost. The Lord holds nations as well as their inhabitants responsible for their actions. The Lord is sovereign over the whole earth and He and the destinies of nations are ultimately in the hands of God. The nations may put their confidence in their own strength, but they are powerless against the Lord. God will hold all nations. Uh, uh, Slip my mind. God will hold them all responsible for their actions. Just as we all stand before God individually and we give an account, All nations will be judged by God someday. Uh, You think about America. Think about this great nation that we love. Are there not great sins that must be taken into account someday? Are we innocent as a nation of the blood of guiltless? We're trying to rectify things. But I can tell you that God is still going to ask of an account of our leaders of our presidents, of our Supreme Court justices, of our congressmen, of our governors, all of these leaders, all these people who make laws, all these people who who stand for authority, they will all have to give an account. God will hold world leaders in account. God will hold kings and judges. It does not matter who they are. God's justice will be decreed. And they will not be able to stand on anything of their own merits. God will say, this is what happened. And this is what your retribution will be. The book also reminds us of the Lord's expectation upon us as individuals to speak out for somebody that may not have a voice. It is is an indictment against us if we see wrongdoings and we hold our peace. And we see somebody treated unjustly and we just turn a blind eye, when we see someone that does not have a voice and cannot stand up for themselves. we must stand up for what is right. I'm reminded of Dr. Martin Luther King's quote that an injustice committed anywhere is an injustice everywhere. It is up to us to use our voice. It is up to us to stand for what is right. The third thing, it would behoove us to treat our brothers and our sisters in the Lord with love and compassion and honor and dignity and respect. God cares about human relationships and God cares about relationships in his church. Jesus wants unity in the body of Christ. Consider how cancer affects the human body. Cancers, when cells mutate, they begin to fight against other healthy cells of the body, cells that the body needs. This was the toxic relationship between Edom and Israel. They were brothers. They were brothers. They had the same father, the same mother. They were twin brothers. And their relationship was toxic and cancerous. If you find yourself resentful, towards those that you should hold in honor and love. And if you feel ugly towards somebody in your spirit and toxic in your spirit toward a brother or sister, seek the Lord. Seek God and ask God to purge you of this cancerous toxic spirit that wants to cause you to fight against other healthy members of the body. God cares about our relationship with one another. Edom represented the flesh and the carnal mind. It it was an image of the natural against the spiritual. Edom had enmity. And Esau, their father, had enmity against the things of God. He, He despised the promises and the blessings of God. That is the carnality of man. That is the natural mind. That is our our base nature, our human nature. The Apostle Paul warns the believers of this kind of selfish living in Galatians 6 and 8. For he that soweth to the flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption. But he that soweth to the spirit shall of the spirit reap life everlasting. We must be aware of our spiritual condition... Every now and then you need to take your temperature. You need to check your spiritual pulse and, and, and examine yourself and say, God, am I where you want me to be? Am I pleasing you? Am I doing, making uh, the right choices? Am I bearing your image the way that you desire me to be? Am I living in the life and the, the destiny that you have designed for me? Check yourself. Check yourself once in a while. The apostle said, examine yourself. See whether you be in the truth. Am I pleasing you, God? Our own flesh and our carnality can fight against the very spirit of God in our lives. Our own flesh and carnal mind can fight against the very things of the kingdom of God. You may not even realize it, but you may be in direct opposition to what God is trying to do just because you're carnal. It it may not even be intentional. You may not even intend on standing in opposition to God. But because you're carnal, you don't even realize that you're blocking off the flow of the spirit. He said, quench not the spirit of God. How do we do that? When we are in the flesh, we quench his spirit from working in us and affecting others around us. Esau and Edom was the spirit of carnality, the fleshly nature. Esau cared not for the things of God, but rather the temporal things. What pleases me? What benefits me? What's in it for me? Me, me, me. There was a lot of selfishness there. Esau said that. What benefit does this blessing and this birthright do for me now? Give me the bowl of pottage. Give me that that bowl so I can fill my belly. He cared more more about the temporal, the fleshly man, than he did about the spiritual man. And because of his pride and his carnal mind blinded him, he could not see the fault in himself, but he laid the fault at his brother's feet. He laid the fault at Jacob's feet and said, it's you. You stole it. You tricked me. You, you, you. But instead he should have been checking himself, saying, me. I gave up my birthright. I sold it. I allowed myself to be duped because my mind was carnal. Yeah. We have to be aware. All these things, no, we are not the people of Edom. No, we are not under destruction. But there are principles in these prophecies that directly affect us. And, and more importantly, our relationship with one another. I believe that there is something greater here that, that can be taught, that can be uh, talked about. And that is our relationship with one another in the church. Why don't we just stand? I want to read a scripture to you too. I'm reminded going through these these books, these, these prophecies, I'm reminded that my relationship with my brother, my relationship with God's people, it matters to God. There, there was years there was years of toxic bad blood between these two nations. They, they could have had a great alliance they could have been a great alliance of nations because Edom was strong at one time and they had a lot of blessing and privileges but because Edom and, Israel, and some of it was Israel's fault there was just so much back and forth between these two Jealousy, Whatever you want to call it. That it caused them to lose out on what could have been years of prosperity and blessing. We don't know. But I I would just ask us to examine our relationships. Maybe with people that are here tonight. I don't know. Maybe with your own personal family. I was recently made aware of a fracture in a family that should have never taken place. But because of stubbornness, because of pride, strong will, whatever, it caused a fracture, caused brokenness, caused hurt and wounds. And and we don't know, I don't know what will come of it, but all I know is it, it, it should have never happened. It should have never happened. These individuals should have been doing great exploits for God, great things for God but instead now they're trying to repair a breach and brokenness on things, maybe words were said that can never be unsaid, things were done, things happened and now there's always going to be a past and a history but God desires us to make things right God desires restoration in your life, God desires restoration in his church the apostle John said for this is the message that ye heard from the beginning that we should love one another not as Cain who was of that wicked one and slew his brother and wherefore he slew him because his works were evil and his brothers were righteous he said this hereby we perceive the love of God because he laid down his life for us we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren this is what God expects of his people He said, my little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. He said, let there be some actions behind your words. Can we just lift our voice and lift our hands to God tonight? Lord, help us tonight, God, to receive your word. Lord, whatever it is, God, that you want us to do with this word, I pray that it would not return void. God, but I pray that the word would find a place in every heart tonight, God. Whether we need to mend a relationship, Lord, or whether we need to just get some things in order in our own spirituality, God, I pray that the word would strike the target tonight, Lord. Find the mark, Lord. Let your word do what it needs to do, God, in every heart and in every life. Father, we pray that these teachings would not be in vain, God, that these are not just Old Testament passages, God, but they are examples for us, Lord, to learn and to receive the principles, God, that are laid in your word. I pray, Lord, that you would help us, God, to to this word, Lord, and apply it to our hearts to fix the broken relationships, Lord, to come under sub- submission to authority, God, and to the voices of God, to the men of God, to the people of God, to, th- to the body of Christ, Lord. Help us, Lord. I thank you for your word. I thank you, God, for what you're doing in these lessons. I thank you, Jesus, for these men that stood And that gave your word without fear, without favor. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus.